You're listening to Shit Adults Never Taught Us, the podcast where we talk shit in a good way. Welcome back, everyone. This week, we have Megan Switzer, who is a female construction manager and engineer, which she has a podcast called Doing Girly Things, which is all about her experience as a female in a workplace that's largely dominated by men. But we also touch on a variety of topics, from how the individual versus corporations can help the environment as a whole, what we can do to combat workplace harassment, and even how she's found a font that helps with her dyslexia. So let's dive into this week's episode. Here's Megan. Welcome, Megan. Thank you so much for being here. We've got a lot to talk about today, and we're going to span so many different topics, but I want to start with your story. So can you give the audience just a little bit about you? Yes, thank you so much for having me on. So I started my path in engineering by uh, just went into engineering. I really wanted to work with solar panels. Once I got in there, I realized it doesn't take a lot to actually build the solar panels. I realized I was super passionate about the built environment. So I ended up getting my master's in electrical engineering from Purdue University. I, after that, I got into construction. And so right now what I do is I focus on the mechanical and the electrical trades inside data center construction. So I'm really focused on how can we make sure that, you know, we're coordinated, we're scheduled on time, and that we're delivering all, everything that we need to the customer. So I deal a lot with like the customer interface between like, what is the client actually looking to have the data center look like versus like, what am I actually building? So a lot of my job is making, is being that middle ground person of saying, okay, well, this is what we built. Do you guys like it? Is there something we need to do differently? And so uh, I like it because it meshes in the engineering, but also what I didn't like about my first job was like, I'm a very social person. And so what I really like is like getting to know the client and just understanding like, okay, well, you don't like this side of the building because it it um, isn't designed so that way then it feeds it meets everyone's needs and so kind of getting into that has just really been um, what I've been passionate about. There's so much to unpack there and there's so much to dive (laughs) into and we'll get to all of it but I want to start with first what about solar panels in particular attracted you to that field? I really wanted to make a difference. And so kind of where I'm at right now is I'm looking at making a career path change and going to go work and build um, renewable farms just because the funding within the federal government has changed. And so now um, we do, a lot of policies are changing. We're starting to actually get active about climate change. But I remember thinking about climate change whenever I was a first grader, like before it was normal for first graders to like be talking about this. Like I remember uh, I, I created this first grade project about going around and picking up trash on the side of the road. And so like, I was always like super passionate about the environment and like how to save it. And so I felt like making solar panels was the best thing for me, which I'm not super into the chemical side of it. So like getting the actual um, engineering of actually building the panels was not really for me. So recently I've found there are a lot of companies that are actually building the farms. And so that's really what I've shifted some of my interest into now and looking at maybe um, not building data centers anymore, but building solar farms. And can you explain a little bit of what a solar farm is and how it fits into the bigger picture? 
Yeah. And so what, um, what some companies are doing is they're calling it offsetting. So they are basically creating these farms that produce as much energy as what they use in a year. And what, how solar works is it just takes the sun in, um, does a bunch of chemical reactions, and then out we have, um, power. And so it's really interesting because we could power like a lot of the United States based off of we just like basically filled all of Texas with solar panels or, you know, we went to New Mexico where there's um, some of these areas that we don't have people living in them, but they aren't, they aren't meant for like a lot of um, just because we don't have a lot of population out there. And so what I really like is like working with a company that takes land that we can't use for commercial or um, housing, stuff like that. So like think about airports. Um, the Indianapolis airport had at one point in time had one of the largest solar farms and what how it had it was basically all the land around an airport you can't build on and you can't live there because there is this certain amount of radius where they have to keep it safe in case a plane goes down and like all this other stuff well, this is just wasted land that people are just mowing. So it's like, well, why can't we take that land and put solar farms on it and basically make it so it's usable where we now are generating power, which was once useless. And so like, that's really where I'm like very passionate about, like adding solar into the whole grid infrastructure. And the reason for a solar panel farm would be instead of having it, perhaps a building is too big to power off of having panels on the roof or if they don't want it maybe aesthetically they don't want it on their roof right is that a the reasoning behind it it's that and it's it's mainly because like for example um data centers they they use more energy in like one day most of them than 30 people use in an entire year oh wow so like what Google's doing right now is they're basically wanting their data centers to be 100% renewable energy. I forget the year they gave it, but what they do is it's called offsetting. So solar doesn't make, you can't make solar energy when the sun's not up. So it's called offsetting. So you basically produce, let's just say one megawatt, one megawatt, how much energy a single person uses per year. So let's say you're using one megawatt in one day, you can't make that much energy on just your roof and you can't make it. You need to have more, more solar panels at, out because of how much energy you're using. Yeah. The other thing that is frustrating, I've heard this explained, and I'm not, definitely not an expert about this, but I've heard this explained a couple of times to me. Is like one of the issues with renewable energy is getting the funding for it. The government heavily subsidizes oil, like heavily subsidized. It's actually only 30% efficient and which is pretty low compared to even like what uh, solar panels are because the nice thing about solar panels is you can set them locally. And that's one thing that is a big advantage is where you live is where your energy is generated. Right now, if you live in LA, your energy might come all the way from the Hoover Dam in Las Vegas. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it has to travel. And so I, I do think that there, there's just a lot that could be said that it isn't just saving on your energy bill. It's the energy efficiency losses from energy traveling across the country. It's the fact that it, like we saw in Texas, if the grid goes out, everyone's power goes out. Well, let's say that you're a responsible person and you kept up your solar panels, you wouldn't lose power. It would be your neighbor down the road that doesn't believe in maintenance. 
And so you, it gains you control and you can be self-sufficient. And that's what I like too, because I'm a very independent person and I'm like, I don't want to rely on anybody else. I have some serious control issues myself. And if you live in um, a stormy area, your power probably goes out a lot. Do solar panels have the ability to withstand extreme weather? They do. The The thing that I will say about it that it, it's funny is, is like, um, people are starting to realize that you need to clean them. So just like you clean your, like apartments get their windows cleaned once a year, it's just life. There's just this film of dust that might get on there. And so people are actually starting, companies are coming where they're out, where they actually go and clean it. So then you can get better efficiency because you can imagine that like any, after, you know, three years of filth getting up there, um, the solar panels getting covered up. And during quarantine, there's been a lot of manufacturing issues. I know PlayStation had issues with mm-hmm. releasing the PlayStation 5, microchips, cars are experiencing it. Almost every industry with manufacturing is experiencing it. Is that affecting solar panel installation and maintenance? Uh, yeah, and just the same reasons. It's just materials are just getting hard to come by. And it's just, it's everything. It's these small chips and like every single, there's no one right now that is not feeling it. And So it is kind of crazy to think about too, like, is this the peak or is it going to get worse? (laughs) And it's it's really difficult, I think, for a lot of people to continue to be patient. And I say that because we spent the last year, we were told, go into quarantine, be patient. Now, Mm -hmm. okay, be patient, we'll get a vaccine. Okay, be patient, the world will open up. And the world is opening up and people are vaccinated in COVID while it doesn't feel like it is slowly becoming more manageable. But then we're like, okay, now be patient with the labor shortage. Be patient with goods coming to you. Be patient. And that can be really hard because we are, I I love control and not being able to control things. It it tries my patience. Uh, I want to go back to two points of what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. The first is, so I want to, talk about uh, global warming and environmental change as a whole. Mm -hmm. What are some things on an individual level that you think make a difference? And what are some things potentially that we're just spinning wheels on? So uh, the one thing that I do think individually that I think we need to do is hold corporations more. And we need to understand that greenwashing has been the last five to 10 years of what's been going on with corporate America. And I mean that in the sense of corporate America is like, hey, you guys need to stop driving your cars. You need to use less water, stop showering so much. But a whole cheeseburger takes like hundreds of gallons of water to make. So greenwashing is a corporation not really following through on what they're saying, right? So No, it's more of like telling individuals that they're responsible for climate change whenever corporation, like humans are only like us individually, we, we only are responsible for like 30% of the energy where like corporations, it's like 50% of our energy consumption is manufacturing. Mm-hmm. So Let's talk to manufacturers about like, how can you make your process more efficient? So by the time I get the product, it's already at a renewable standpoint, like um, company, like shoe companies are really popular in doing this right now. We're like, um, there's one shoe, I think it's Allbirds. They actually tell you on the side of how, how much carbon it took to make that shoe. I also think about it. I drive a hybrid and I think about, I'm doing my part because I drove the hybrid. 
But the people who made the hybrid, did they make it in a solar panel facility? Did they make it with the mindset? Because I'm doing mine in the final product, but did all the steps leading up to the car Mm -hmm. actually matter for the environment as well? And that's something that I think you're right. Corporations have to be held accountable for. I live in California and California is, I think in the next five to 10 years, going to be only selling electric cars. Yep. But in the manufacturing of those electric cars, is it also going to be only electric? Is it also going to be only solar paneled to make that electricity? Is it going to be a more sensible way of manufacturing? Because that's the only way it actually makes a difference. And I would, I would love for companies ha- to have to start reporting like how much waste did they have to throw away in order to get to one product. So you have your one electric vehicle did they throw away, you know, three electric vehicles worth of parts so you could have one perfect one? Yeah. And what quality control measures could they put into place so we're not throwing away raw steel and we're not throwing away all of this other stuff? And so I just, I think that we, and so I go back and forth with like friends about this because they're like, but individuals are corporations. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. Like there is an individual making this responsibility that's, you know, saying like whether this is important to the business or not. I just really wish that we could just only buy from corporations like you're saying that have real good green practices. Like if you make this shoe, how did you recycle? Because like part of that, the Allbirds shoe is like, it's like you can compost it you can now turn their shoes in and they will uh you know refurb them and all this other stuff and so I think just getting to a point where we let the market weed out businesses that don't care about the environment and that's like the best thing that we can do as consumers and as individualists is like don't think that by using a reusable straw is what's going to make climate change go away it's if you stop buying from Pepsi if you stop buying from all of these big corporations that just don't care. General Mills, they don't care. (laughs) All these companies don't really care. And because like we don't spend the money to say that we care. Let's think about the Sunship bag that used to be compostable. And it was so loud. Everyone quit buying Sunships. So they quit selling these bags that you could put in the trash and I actually found a Facebook status from 2012 and it said, I can't wait till all chip bags sound like sun chip bags and here we are eight years later and chip bags still sound like they did eight years ago even though though the technology to make them renewable is there yeah and it starts at the corporations it starts the companies we're the final product we're the end we're the finishing line and if we're the finishing line and we're the ones expected to carry the brunt of the work to make Mm -hmm. it sustainable and better for the planet where it's it's fruitless if it doesn't matter all the steps that came to get there. And I think it's true. So I just want some takeaways for people to be shop on eBay, Poshmark, whatever it is. I just bought a refurbished phone. I bought an iPhone 12 mini. That phone has only been out about six months, but I went on Amazon and I bought a refurbished (laughs) one. And I will tell you the reason it is refurbished. I found out is there is a tiny itty bitty green pixel in the bottom left corner of the screen They sent a little note with it. I see it, but I've been using the phone for two weeks now. Don't even notice it anymore. And you're going to get used to these things. It won't matter, but it saves the planet in a small way. But yes, we do what we can. Mm -hmm. You guys can do everything we can to stop using plastic straws, use reusable bags, Mm -hmm. shop secondhand, 
but it does have to come from the corporations and it has to come a little bit from the government in making those mandates. Yes. Uh, okay, so stepping backwards for a quick moment. Mm-hmm. You are a lady and you work in construction and engineering. Have there been any obstacles along the way with that? And are there any things that you kind of confront on a daily basis? Yeah, I would say there, I'd say probably like the biggest obstacle, of course, is um, like the workplace harassment and just making sure um, just like always fighting the stereotype of where if men like say something, they're considered to be stern. But if women say something, they're considered to be bitchy. And so there's a lot of times where, you know, I'll kind of explode and it's like we're not going to pay you guys until we get this this and this done like I need some action on this and we get off the phone and someone's like man are you just is it your period this month or this this week and it's just like one of those things where it's like okay well I didn't see you you didn't say anything about my male coworker that was just as angry as me in that meeting like one thing that I've started to say and that I think is the best way to confront it without confronting it is I say, what do you mean by that? Like, Oh, if, I like that. If you, if you're going to say something like that, like, what do you mean by that? I don't understand it. I want you to explain it to me completely, dude. I want to hear exactly how you want me to hear that. So you can hear how ridiculous it is that you just said that to me. Right. And so I think there's that. And I have just been, just become, um, because of it, I walked into a situation the other day and one of my coworkers was like, oh my gosh, we're the only women in this room. And I was like, I was like, if I recognized every time I was the only woman in the room, I would be so overwhelmed. Like, I don't even recognize it anymore. Like I walk into a room and it's, it's the same thing to me. Like if I'm always the only woman in the room. Yeah, me too. It's, it happens so often and it's a mentality that we learn to work around, but we do wish it was different. I also think when you are the only female in the room, your demeanor kind of changes in, the, in a way. Mm-hmm. Do you notice that about yourself? Yeah. And I, uh, so I actually talked about this on one of my, my first podcast episodes. So uh, podcast doing girly things is all about uh, construction and making uh, construction a girly thing to do. And so my first episode, uh, I did it with a coworker, and so he's a minority and he's Puerto Rican and he in the episode you know talked about what his hair does to him like just because it's so different than everybody else's and being in like all white spaces and we mm. talked about being like the token black person or the token um, woman in the room and when you're like the token woman what happens is you're automatically expected to be the one that takes the notes you're automatically expected to be the one that pushes in the chairs or cleans up the room if it's not um, not well organized. If food arrives, you're expected to be the one that gets all the food out and um, sets it all up nice and pretty. And so I will seriously, I pass the ball on taking meeting minutes so fast. I will refuse to do it. Um, I remember growing up and I caught on to this really quickly in uh, my college career that the women were expected to be the ones that took the notes for the group. And I'd be like, I have the worst handwriting here, which I kind of do. And I, I refu- I've refused to do the meeting minutes since college because it's this burden that we just assume that women have to bear. The expectations of the room is a very real thing, but it goes, mm. I think, beyond being expected to take notes or whatever. Also, if you're in a room with all white men and they make a sexist joke, 
they all immediately look at you to make sure it's okay that they made it. And they're all like, did she laugh? Did she smile? Is that an okay joke? And if you don't laugh or smile, then they still side eye each other and they're like, oh, there's a woman in this room. But there's beyond that, like I assume the guy, your coworker that you spoke to on that podcast mm-hmm. probably has a similar situation yes. where somebody makes a joke and then they all look at him to make sure it's okay. But what in that situation can you even do? I've experienced it several countless times, honestly. Mm-hmm. And when it happens and everybody looks at you or like tries to gauge your temperature, you can either be the wet blanket of the room and be like, all right, well, that wasn't cool which I have done on several mm-hmm. occasions, but it doesn't stop anything because then it's the, then they all look at each other like, oh, well, whatever. Or you laugh it off and then they think that's okay. There is really no winning in those scenarios. The exactly. only winning is it has to be somebody else in the room. Uh, I agreed, agreed. It's where, where we're at with feminism is we need men to start holding other men accountable is I can't keep calling men out I need my men allies to start calling men out when I'm not in the room or when I'm the only one in the room. And I need them to say like, that's not a cool thing. Cause I like you, like I've like joked along with it. And I ended up actually kind of in like a situation where the workplace harassment got so, so strong and so crude because I had just laughed along with it. And I, and Mm -hmm. like, so they kept pushing the boundaries, kept pushing the boundaries. The next thing you know, you're like, okay, like, why, why is this all okay behavior? And it's because like people like that, they just like, they go, they go half step. You don't want to be the wet blanket, but you also, and like, yeah, it might be kind of funny, but if you allow it once, you're going to allow it for the rest of your time with this person. And sometimes it's easier to just laugh it off and move on. Mm-hmm. Because if you sit and you say something, that's a whole conversation that you don't want to have. But if you just go, huh, okay, whatever. And you laugh it off and just move on then you've moved on and you let it go. So you think that's the easier way to go about it, but it may not always be the easier way. Sometimes it's better in the long run if you go, dude, that wasn't cool. And I can laugh it off and be like, I've done the the laugh with the sentence of what an inappropriate thing to say. (laughs) (laughs) Where like, I'll laugh so that you feel comfortable, but I'm also going to let the room know that's so stupid. Or like like, people will make a joke about your sex life and I'll be like, what a stupid thing to say in a workplace. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that because it is, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to laugh. Like you expect women to do whenever you make jokes. You wanted it. Yeah, you, you asked want, for the laugh. You asked for the laugh, so I will give that to you. But I'm also going to let you know that, like, this was inappropriate. But in a male-dominated industry, it can be really hard when you are the only woman in the room. It can be really difficult yeah. when you don't feel like you have a voice. Are there tricks that you've used to have your voice be heard? So, uh, yes, there's there's two that come to the top of my mind. One is, is that I have actually stopped talking about my relationship status and really anything with um, my personal life to that extent with coworkers. Like so there's like one or two coworkers that might know, but um, the people that I'm managing, because I have found that being a female, people fixate on that because yeah. like they really fixate as soon as you let them into your relationship. I don't know. I don't completely understand it, but men just love to bring it up. Um, if you're single, 
they like to make jokes about you going out on dates. And so I just kind of shut all that down. And um, if somebody does ask me, I will jokingly say, you get one question on the pro on the project about my relationship. Is this how you want to use it? Oh, I love that. I'll let you know one thing about me. I'll let you know that I'm single. Like, that's it. But like, I'm not going to sit here and have you ask me like, am I on Bumble? Am I going on dates? Like, I like it. You get one question. You get one question. That's it. I love that. I think that's a perfect way to set a boundary, Mm -hmm. but you can set it in a way that isn't like, like we were talking about like, Yes, it isn't guarded where if you're the only woman in the room and they're making sexist jokes and you immediately respond with, that's an inappropriate joke to make, then you're combative. Where if you laugh and you're like, what an inappropriate thing to say, that their guard instantly falls because they think you're laughing along with them. And then when you flip it, then it's Mm -hmm. so obviously put on them that it's undeniable you come at it from you're on their side, but you're still against it. Exactly. Like we don't want to compromise ourselves to conform to our job. And a lot of women do that still. We're still trying so hard to fit in and conform. And I know we're like running a little over, but so Megan, can I ask you some questions about your life? Yes. Yes. What's one life lesson that you've had to learn over and over again? To control my anger. I Mm. learned this lesson all the time. My, I am so incredibly short tempered and it's like, kind of like, yeah. And so I have to keep learning it over and over again, especially with, um, just being in like stressful situations. And so that is like probably my biggest working on is learning to control that because you do get kind of angry because you're like, I'm so mad that like, I'm always the only woman. I'm always standing up for myself. And so like, there's like this, just this chip on your shoulder. It feels like all the time. And so working through like that, um, that has been like probably something that I'm like, you know, I'm still going to therapy for just trying to learn how to not be so hateful sometimes. (laughs) Are there any tools and tricks that you think you've learned to be better with anger? I think for me personally, it's like, learning whenever it's anger versus an actual issue so like taking those deep breaths like understanding like in my psychology whenever I'm being angry and acting out of anger instead of like be like and so it's just learning for me personally whenever it's like actually something to act on versus me just kind of my ego and anger and so I I not necessarily having like real tips but for me right now the stage that I'm at is like learning and just like taking that step back and learning to close my office door. Like if I need a minute, I'll close it. And like that self-reflection in those couple minutes will save me so much face versus like charging forward and learning that like go to the bathroom, hang out in the stall for a minute. I think that that's like the biggest thing I've learned is like nobody's actually going to miss you if you spend an extra two minutes in the bathroom. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. It's true. No one cares. And no one's probably even noticed. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> no one's noticed. We think about it so much. And honestly, no one's probably even noticed. They don't know where you are. Exactly. What's your favorite failure that you've experienced? Uh, so whenever I, I think my favorite failure is, is so I applied to engineering school and actually didn't make it. Um, so I went and um, my aunt had done this program and it was called engineering technology and it 
it's more of a hands-on degree. So every single class had a, uh, a lab associated with it. And because of that, I actually think that that's why I ended up getting my master's in electrical engineering technology was because I didn't go straight for the engineering degree, which was just like, because a lot of what they say is like the degree I went for is like innovation, where like engineering is invention. And I am more of an innovation person. Like I want to make ideas better. And like, that's what I thrive on. And so I think that like what I thought was the end of the world by like not being able to go get an environmental engineering degree. And I think it ended up just being like the best thing that was like heartbreaking. Um, But I'm also like very severely dyslexic. So like I like really learn hands-on like (laughs) that's my jam and you're a kinesthetic learner yes yes because like there is like whenever I look at a lot of work and like now like they make fronts and stuff for dyslexic people so it wouldn't be as hard but like when I was going to school there wasn't necessarily like being dyslexic wasn't a learning disability so much it was just like something that like there was no cure for it nothing to help you there are fonts that help with dyslexia yeah yeah you can download them and so what it does is it makes it so like um like the g's and d's have different curls on them so you you can't necessarily like flip them in your head as easy because that's like what happens is like for me g's and d's are like really hard and like you can like look at all my stuff growing up and like i would go and write a g when i was supposed to write dad i appreciate that there is a font that somebody's out there trying to to find a a helpful tool. It may not be a cure. Not everything does have a cure, but helpful tools can be just as Mm -hmm. important to somebody struggling. Next question. What's the best piece of financial or career advice you've ever gotten? So for, um, for career advice, I would say that the company is just as lucky to have you as you are to have them and really learning that you are interviewing the company. Uh, because I think a lot of time whenever, cause I've worked at 10 different companies so far. Um, and a lot of it's because, like a lot of internships. And so I'll say like, they weren't not a lot of them were full time, but a lot of internships. And I think the reason why I've moved around so much is because I always felt like, Oh my gosh, this company wants me. Yes. Yes. I scored a job offer. Like I'm so happy. I'm so much better than my peers, but it's like, but that job offer isn't really what you want, nor is it what you want to do, nor is it like the work environment that you want. So like, what did you actually win? And that is so important. I, yes. I wish I had learned that younger too, because honestly, I felt like the, I just was so lucky that anybody even wanted to pay me to do what I want to do, that I forgot to negotiate a raise, forgot to negotiate a salary, forgot to even stop and think if I wanted the job mm-hmm. because I was so excited at the beginning of my career that somebody would even want me that I couldn't think about whether I wanted them. I think about that too, where like I could have gotten an internship doing something more of what I wanted, but I was so obsessed with the idea of having a internship that I just took that. Last question. What's the best piece of relationship advice you've ever gotten? Uh, so my, my mom used to say this all the time, but she would say like a day spent with the wrong person is like one less day you have with the right person. So like she would say that advice, like if you were thinking about breaking up or if you just didn't know if you really liked that person, because what I would fall in the trap of is, you know, just like kind of hanging out with a guy that wasn't like necessarily like super interested in, but like, I didn't hate them. And so like, she would, she just gave that advice about how like, 
you know, and I agree with it sometimes, but I do agree with that. It, it, you, like you only have so much time. And so if you're too busy with the wrong person, you're not going to find the right person. It's not you. It's mm-hmm. not them. It's just the relationship has run its course. Yeah. Megan, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell people where to find your amazing podcast yes. and everything else about you? Yes. So my podcast is Doing Girly Things, uh, 1G, so D-O-I-N-G-I-R-L-Y, things. And you can find us on Instagram. You can find my podcast, release a new episode every other Monday. And really, uh, if you would like to just reach out and just let me know about anything that you've been doing that's girly and construction. I would love to know. I'm always so happy every time I meet somebody new that um, is in construction that's a female and yeah, and uh, in Portland area. So, but yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. Check back in next week to talk a little more shit with me. In the meantime, be sure to grab your copy of Shit Adults Never Taught Us on Amazon and Barnes & Noble to learn all the shit adults never taught us. And in case no one told you this week, you're killing it. So keep going, you genuine badass.